and good evening. It's weird to not be here on a morning, but it is evening, and I'm glad you all are here. May I, I hope this is a, uh, a special time for you as you come and we think about the cross and what Jesus did. Um, I've had at least one person say this is their favorite service. Really? Yeah. Did they see last year's? Well, don't go there. No. Just we'll stop. But, you know, these are, these are different services yeah. than we normally do. Like Christmas Eve and Good Friday are probably amongst my two favorite services because they're so introspective. They're so um, thoughtful, I guess. You know? yeah. Not that the others aren't. It's just there's something very centered yeah. about it, and I really appreciate that. And we can't quite do it like we normally do. With we usually have a bunch of candles and it and the lights are really low and but we wouldn't be able to record it so right so that's a difference it is it's but they're in the dark out there and I'm not sure about folks online where you're at physically mentally you know so this would be a good point to just kind of center down get quiet um, as. As Joe said, this is a it's, this is an introspective kind of service. It's a service where we stop and we think um, much more deeply about uh, about the cross, about his death for us on on it. Um, it's it's not a raw raw one. This is this is that's Sunday. Sunday's the yeah, and this is not. And so doesn't mean it's not victorious, but it's it's more mellow. So take some time to think about that at home, wherever you are, and just. Kind of get centered, you know, if you need to turn the lights down where you are, that might help. Turn on, put a candle on, that might be helpful. Um, don't have distractions. This will be a short service, only about 35 minutes or so. And so uh, let's take a moment, let's, let's pray for the service and, and uh, get our hearts ready. Father, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for sending your son and all the joy that comes to us because of that. We ask Jesus that you would help us to center down and and to let go of all the things that have happened in the last 30 minutes, the last hour, the last 24 hours, and just think about you right now and what that means that you died for us on the cross. As we think about the story, we think about the implications. Meet us here as we celebrate and remember your death. In Jesus' name, amen. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. When it was noon, Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
When some of those standing there heard this, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, This man really was God's son. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. What happened? What happened? We talk about it all the time, and we all know that as Christians that the, the, the death of Christ is central. Um, it's critical to, to our faith. It is the center, the core of it. But what happened? Not a simple answer, actually. But the answer to that question has um, some very significant, it answers some very significant questions that we struggle with. Questions such as, you know, what's wrong with the world? Questions like, how do I live in this world that's broken and filled with pain and shame and anxiety and stress and disease? How do we live in that world with injustice, with racism and oppression and abuse? And then the third question, is there hope? Is there hope for the world? Is there hope for me, personally? These are the kinds of questions that if we think carefully and long about the cross, It'll answer those questions. It is the highest point of God's revelation. It explains more about God than anything else. <clears throat> and there's a lot of different, well, the theologians call it models of, a, of, of what happened. And we could see a few of them in the songs we just sang. One of them is, call, is called the, the moral influence or, or uh, uh, 
example theory. And, and we saw that in that first song. The wondrous cross bids me come and die. That, that we see Jesus' love and, and, and we want to love other people because he showed that love. And there's, there's a biblical precedent for that. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the, the church. Ephesians 5.25. So there, th- that, that's a part of it. There's also the, 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 the Christ the victor or ransom theory, which we saw in that, you know, in the Ross King song, you know, to win my soul, that, he, that, it, was, that it was sort of like an act of war going on there. We've talked a little bit about that in, in Mark. It's actually the oldest model. But it, it's the idea that, there's, that this had to do with the struggle of cosmic powers, that that was a part of it. And we can see it in, like in the Cl- uh, Colossians chapter 2, that, there's a, um, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authority. So that, that's a piece. But the one I wanted to focus on tonight was, is the one I think is the core of it. That one's called the, the penal substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning punishment, substitution, in our place. Atonement that is to make us one with God again. And we could see that in the famous verse, Isaiah 35, verse 5. Excuse me, 53, verse 5. Let me just read through it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we're healed. Let me give you, let's look, just, some, just looking carefully at that, let's, one of the things we can obviously see is he died. Look at those words. He was pierced. He was crushed. The punishment that was on him. The wounds. And if we look at some of the other pa- other uh, verses around this central one, you'll see things like that he, that he carried our, 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 our griefs and our sorrows, that he was um, despised, that he was rejected. So we can say, in summary, Jesus experienced the, the horrors of, of this life. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to be not liked by your friends and your family. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to have disease and sickness. He, he, he knows this. He felt it. And he simply died. It reveals, we start to think about this simply, is that God suffers. That's a remarkable thing. Very few religions have the idea that their God suffers. Possibly none other. A couple that, Buddha maybe. But his whole point is to escape it. But God suffers. Think about this. He suffers, so he understands your pain. Your emotional pain, your physical pain, your relational issues. He, he gets that. And he suffers because of us, ultimately. He, suff- he was pierced for our transgressions, our iniquities. 
Two different words, basically, you know, we can put them in, a, in, in the group called sin. Why is there sin? It's not God's fault. It's our fault. Go back to Genesis 3. So there's sin because of us, and God suffers because of sin. So we caused it. There's a sense we could say we, we're the ones that put the nails in his hands. But he chose it. God so, suffers, but Jesus went to this, 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 he wanted this. He, he identifies with us in our pain. He gets it. He wants, he chooses to enter into your sickness and your abandonment and your sorrows. And he meets you there. It's one of the glorious truths of the cross is God suffers with us. That's, why, that's what the whole word Emmanuel means. And not just this one time. He does it over and over and over. Look at Matthew 25. I'm not going to go there, but it, there's a clearly an idea that God identifies with his people when, they're, when they suffer. And so... This is the first thing to just notice in this verse is that God dies. Jesus died. God suffers. And that means, by the way, following Jesus means to suffer. But that suffering is not for, any pr for no purpose. It's not suffering just to suffer. That would be sadistic. No, there's a reason for it. And look back at the text. But he, was, he suffered, right? To result, to, to, to produce something, something good. Look, he was crushed for our iniquities, punished, the punishment that brought us peace, the wounds, and by his wounds we are healed. His punishment resulted in blessings, something very specific. In this case, the two words being used are healed and peace. Now, healed has to do with this, this idea of the removal of the negative effects of sin and the fall. All those griefs and pains and sorrows and all the, all the injustices and all the unrighteousness and all the way people have mistreated each other, all of that, but also all the physical de deformities and things that aren't right, the cancers and all of that. This is, this is the idea. In, in, in the Bible, and in particularly in the book of Isaiah, Sickness is, a, is, is both a metaphor and a symptom of sin. And so he's saying that by his death, those neg the negative effects of the fall of sin are being removed, which is what mercy is. One of the results of his death is to be healed. And we don't get that all right now. Well, it would be nice to have it instantaneously, wouldn't it? But we don't have it yet. We still struggle today with it all. But there's coming a day where that will not be the case. And it will be the result of the death on the cross. That one day coming where there will be no more crying or pain or sorrow. It also brings peace. See? The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Peace. Peace is a really deep word. Lots to it. It's rich. 
But in, in, in its core, it has to do with gaining all the positive benefits of doing it right all the time. Perfectly obeying, perfectly being right with God all the time. It's illustrated in places like the book of Judges, where, where they go through these cycles over and over and over, where they do something wrong, and God rescues them and brings them back and sets them back up. This Okay, you're doing it right again. All right, and so they ha- the land has peace. And what it means is, is this idea of when you have um, a not war-torn country. Think about what that would be like. Never knowing war. There'd be prosperity. You'd never be afraid. There would be no, no no children would die. Everyone would would, would sit under their own own porches and just be at ease. And all those blessings would be pouring out. This is what peace is. It's getting all the positive benefits of righteousness. This is the result of his death. He suffered to give us this. And that reality of that, 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 that the metaphor might be physical healing, the, the metaphor might be you know, us being right with each other, but the reality, the core of it is being right with God himself. And we can see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that Therefore, since we have been justified, declared right, that's what the word justified means, by faith we have peace with God through Christ. This is what happened. Because he suffered, the result of his death is that we would have peace. Internal peace, peace out in the world, coming from a peace with God. Think about that. God took something that was evil. And let's call it what it is. In fact, I think the, this moment that we're thinking about tonight, the death of Jesus, the death of God's son, is the most evil act ever. The very person embodying good was murdered. Unjustly abused. All of that. It was a bad thing. Let's call it what it is. It's bad. But this is called Good Friday, isn't it? Why? Because God, in his insanely omnipotent power, takes something that's bad, really truly not okay, and he forces it to produce what it's not supposed to produce. Good. He takes It's like taking darkness and making darkness produce light. If you can think of a light bulb, that when you turn it on, it makes the room dark, not light. That, That kind of a light bulb, God makes that kind of a light bulb instead produce light. That's what this is doing. Incredible that he would do that. That So out of the evil of the cross, God has produced this good. Out of his abandonment, because he was abandoned by his friends and his country, we're adopted into God's family. Because of his grief, we have joy. Because of his wounds, 
we have healing. Because of his rejection, we have acceptance. Out of his shame, we have dignity. Out of his death, we have life. God subverts evil to make it produce what it shouldn't produce. Good. Christ died, he suffered, and he died to produce blessing that, it, that that's not what's supposed to happen. And God operates like this, people. He does this all the time. Go read the stories of Joseph again or Daniel where people do bad things to, to people that don't deserve them. And God uses that to produce something very, very good. This is what's going on in Romans 8, 28. When, it, when, when it's that, that verse that we all love to read, that, that for God pr produces good for those who love him. Could he do that for you? And something bad that's happened to you? The cross says yes. That if you've been mistreated, if you've been abandoned, God's in the business of subverting bad things and making them produce what they shouldn't. This is one of the things the cross says. But for who? Who gets the blessing? We'll look at the text again in Romans uh, in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds are healed. Now, did you, did you hear who? Who's the who? Who are the recipients? It says it. Did you hear? Our transgressions. Our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was on him. We are healed. These are faith statements. To say I, our, our sin means that you believe that there's a God and that you've offended him, that you've done wrong to him. To say that, it, that, that you believe that the punishment that brings us peace was on him means that you believe that when God says that his, he died, that somehow my sin is paid for on there. That his, that his death applies to me. This applies a belief in a God. This applies a belief in, in, in Jesus. This, uh, this applies, implies a belief in his word. Because how do you, how do we really know that, the, that Jesus dying on the cross forgives you? Only because you trust what God said that it means. Otherwise, it's just a person died, and maybe, yeah, you believe even that he rose again on the third day, but how do you know it? You know it because the word of God says it, that that's what it means. That's faith. When you go, you said that, I believe that that's what, he, that's what you're doing. Who are the blessings, the recipients of the blessings, of the peace and the, and, the, and the healing? People of faith. 
People who trust him. Who agree they have sin and they and 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 that they, they deserve to this to the punishment, but that God has forgiven it because of Jesus. People of faith. He suffered for blessing people of faith. People who trust him. So what's wrong with the world? I'll wrap it up with this. What's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton, this famous essayist in, essayist in the uh, early 1900s, um, when answering a, 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 an article in the, in the London Post, I think it was, what's wrong with the world, simply answered with, I am. What a pithy little statement. It says on one hand it's selfishness, but it's also you and me. I am the problem. It's sin. We are the problem. No law, no politician, no education can ultimately fix the world. We can make laws all day long, but as Plato I saw it read this week, good people don't need laws, and the bad people will get around them. Isn't that interesting? That's Plato that said that. Now, I don't know if that's true. It was on Facebook. So how true can it be, right? I haven't looked up the, 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 the quote, but if it's true, it's like, oh, a long time ago to come up with that. But that's basically all the Bible says, too, that if you're a good person, you really don't need to be told what to do. You'll just do it. But we don't, because the world is broken, and laws, and none of this stuff is going to fix it. What'll, what fixes it is Isaiah 53. Jesus fixes it. Only true solution is Jesus, because we ourselves is the pro- are the problem. And so, how do you live in a world like this? That that we're that as we wait for the day for Jesus to finally and fully fix it all, you remember that he, that he understands your pain. He gets it when things don't go right. He gets it when people are mean to you. He gets it. And he's with you in it. We're going to sing a song after this that's about where were you when I was alone in, in, in heartache? You're on the cross. He gets it. He'll be with you in your pain. You remember that he's with you in your pain. And you suffer with Jesus. Because all ble- if you want to really truly bless people, it has to come through suffering. There's no way around it. I'm sorry. That's hard news, but if you really want to bless another human being, it has to cost you something. There's no way around it. Whether it's your time, your energy, what you want, maybe it's your money, something will be sacrificed to bring a blessing. And especially on an eternal spiritual level, it has to be by suffering. So how do you live in a world like this? You embrace the suffering going, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is just the way it is. But but finally, is there hope? Yes. There's hope that one day this will all get fixed. We can see that in in, in 
Revelation 21, where you know, there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. We know that day is coming because of this. It's sure, as sure as the resurrection that we'll talk about on Sunday. But this verse reminds us that God has not left us alone. This verse reminds us that those of us who have faith, he's with us, and that we will one day have full peace. Peace and healing of all the ugliness of sin and this fallen world. So fix your eyes on Jesus. So you have hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So you can see how to live in the in this world. Let's pray. Father, as we come to communion, we thank you for your solution, your answer to the world's problems. It's amazing that you would enter into our suffering. It's amazing that you would bring us blessing, that you can possibly take bad things that occur and, and, and make them produce something good. Oh, I love that, Jesus. I love that, Father. Because we see our, our own faults and our own mistakes and our, all, all of our, our mess-ups. Oh, help us to believe that you can do that in our lives. That you can redeem our lives and make them better. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Joe's going to play a moment as we just take a few seconds and just kind of get yourselves ready for communion. Think about what I just said. Um, do you have faith? Do you need him? Do you need hope? Do you need healing? You can find it here. And then we'll come together in a moment and we'll, we'll take communion together. This meal is called one of two things. Well, there's a couple of things it's called, but two of them is communion. That's one. The other one is the Lord's Supper. Communion has to do with the idea of union, connecting. And in this moment, in, these, the, in this reenactment, this what we're thinking about, what we're remembering, God is with you, connecting with you. And it's also called the Lord's Supper. 
we should remind you that there's a wedding day coming, a wedding feast coming where all of the, 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 the blessings purchased by this will be fully experienced. Peace and joy and righteousness. Think about those things. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. He died. He suffered and he died for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new agreement between humanity and, and God, not based on our performance, but based on his. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Sin can be forgiven only by the shedding of blood, and he shed his blood for you to bring you those blessings blood of Christ given for you. Hell, for as long as you eat and you drink these things, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And until he returns, remember that he's with you. So that when you're struggling with being alone or the pain and the, and the injustice and all this in the world, remember, where was he? He was on the cross. the dawn will reappear and that's what we celebrate on Sunday the dawn of Jesus rising and the anticipation of his coming again and the new world begins thanks for coming see you Sunday